Now, we had shared on Wednesday. I didn't get to it on Sunday, so I'm going to say it again now because in case some of the folks were not here on Wednesday or if you never watched Wednesday, uh, I want to just repeat it to you because I wanted to get to it, but I just it ran out of time on Sunday. But remember, this was our 12th anniversary. On Tuesday or when, Wednesday, sorry, Wednesday, October 7th, was 12 years to the night that we started uh, in our home in, in, in Brampton, 2008. Praise God. And so the Lord was dealing with me a little bit about the significance of the 12th anniversary and what it means. And so I just wanted to, I wanted to share just, just before we get going on the rest of it, just, just a few thoughts here about what 12 means. Because even though that was Wednesday, this is Sunday, we're still in our anniversary week and it still means a lot. And it, it's, it's important that we all are on the same page. And so the Lord started, the Lord reminded me, he said, when the children of Israel came out of, came out of the 40 years of the wilderness, did you notice they crossed the Jordan? Do you remember? Yes. What did he say? If you were paying attention, you're a good student, right? Yes, sir. Our Jordan was what year? 2000 and? Oh, be, please, don't get this wrong because I'm going to just quit right now if you get it wrong. What was Bethel 2017? What was Jericho 2000? And what was Jordan 2000? And because why God said some things in Bethel in 17? He said it's a year of speaking. He started some things in Jericho in 2018. He called it a year of starting. And he settled some things in 19 in Jordan because it was a year of settling. And Jordan represents a demarcation line. The end of one, the beginning of another, where God confirms, establishes, and settles. Are you with me? Now, they leave 40 years. They come through the Jordan, which represents their demarcation line just like we did just come through 19 I want you to notice as soon as they come out of Jordan they set up a memorial of 12 yes. now you, this is not a big deal this is just a little tid, what I call a tidbit it's not doctrine it's not theology it's just a little bit of a tidbit that the Lord dropped in my heart to let me see the the mastery of God and the season and how his hand is governing more than we think we think things are coincidental with God they're not coincidental God has planned it he has planned it. And he, the way he said it to me was they came through their Jordan and set up a memorial of 12. And you have come through your Jordan and set up a memorial of 12 because our 12th year has just been completed in this season. Then he said, notice what they did after they put up the memorial of 12. They went to Gilgal to crucify the flesh. And then what happened, they went and that's when the captain of the army of the Lord came with the sword drawn and gave the, the mantle or the anointing or the assignment to the leader for them to go into the land. Remember, he came and he took his shoes off and, and that's, that's really when that anointing, that assignment was transferred to Joshua. Listen, let me give you a little, hit, a little tidbit here. Every time you see God say, take your shoes off, for this place is holy. So that's a very important statement. Don't overlook that when you read that. When you take your shoes off because of the holiness of God, what it is saying is God is separating you to an assignment. Ta removing of the shoes speaks of a separation because you, it, that means speaking of holiness. Holiness means sanctification or separation. The tithe is holy because it's separated or sanctified to God. So when you think holy, you think separate. We're holy because we're, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're separated from the world, which makes us holy. 
the tithe is separated from us, which makes it holy. When you take your shoes off in that holiness experience, what God is saying is there is a, you are separated unto me. There is a, there is something about you that I am separating to myself. And when we see that with Moses on the mountain, he took his shoes off. Why? God was separating him to an assignment and anointing him to do it. When you see Joshua take his shoes off with the man with the drawn sword, which was Jesus, pre-incarnate Jesus, and, and, and he's giving him his assignment to take the promise and he says, take your shoes off. He was separating Joshua and anointing him, empowering him to do that job. Amen. Are you with me? So when, when, when we see this, this separation is very important. Now he go, they go through the Jordan. They set up that 12. They come to Gilgal. They, they, they deal with their... They, they deal, you know, Gilgal, they all got circumcised, but really what it represented was covenant and dealing with their, their, their flesh. Yes. Do you understand? Yes. And, 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 look, and look at the parallel. We've come through our Jordan. We've had this demarcation line. We're in this season, yes. right? Yeah. And, and, and we're in our 12th year. There's like a memorial of 12. And then immediately we go into this fast. Yes. After the 12 stones were set up as a memorial they went to gilgal after we've ended i mean e even this is even this is masterful god didn't have the fast earlier in the year he waited until we finished this we came through the season our anniversary is behind us and immediately almost immediately following that we enter our gilgal phase the wilderness represent the wilderness of hardship where Jesus had to fast to receive the anointing of God for his ministry is that's that's our wilderness, what we're doing with this fast. That's what that means. But the symbol of Gilgal means the same thing. They went to a place of hardness, a place of of dealing with their flesh before they could get the anointing. They had to go through Gilgal first. We have to go through that fast and that cruise and that wilderness experience dealing with the flesh first. And then what happens? Jesus picked up that anointing. We're going to pick up that anointing. And what happened to the nation of Israel? What happened to Joshua? As soon as they finished Gilgal, the man comes with a drawn sword and says, take your shoes off. In other words, I am separating you to an assignment and I'm anointing you for that assignment. But they had to go through Gilgal before that anointing, before that mantle came on them. So that's the way God works. There's patterns that he'll never deviate from. Just because we're in the New Testament doesn't mean he changes. The Bible says, I am the Lord, I change not. There's certain things that never change. Patterns with God never change. If you, before you ever get something from God in terms of a, I am separating you and empowering you and anointing you and giving you an assignment to do something, before you ever do that, you always have to go through a crucifixion phase, a, a dealing with the, the dying to flesh, dying to self. You have to go through a wilderness. You have to go through a Gilgal experience. And the Lord showed me that parallel. He said, son, there's, there's, more, there's more accuracy and there's more more symbolism here than even you realize. Even like they came through Jordan and then they set up 12 and they went to Gilgal to deal with their flesh and they went to get the anointing and they walked into the promised land. So you've come through your 19. You're in your 12th year, 2020. You're going through this fast to deal with your flesh. You're going to pick up that anointing like Jesus did in the wilderness and you're going to in 2021 start to walk into this land. Going to start to accomplish some things under that anointing. We can say we've always been preaching under the anointing, but not under the mantle. Do you understand the difference? If you don't get it and you don't stand with me and pray this out and speak it out and confess it out, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen the way it should happen. It's not enough for just me. Can I be honest with you? I said to the Lord, I said, Father, 
This is enough. When he said this to me on August 2nd, I said, Lord, it is enough for just me to know this. I will tell the senior leaders and the staff and me, and we will confess it and we will pray it. And the congregation does not have to know. He didn't answer me. In fact, I wasn't even going to tell you I was fasting. I was going to keep that private. I was going to make the excuse that I was away on a mini sabbatical, the mini holiday, a mini vacation, that I was just out to seek God and wait on God. I wasn't going to even mention about the fast. And I was just going to be gone for five weeks and you were going to be none the wiser. And that was actually my plan for a number of weeks after he revealed this to me. Until about mid, mid of September, he spoke to me and he said, you must tell the people and I said, but I don't want to tell the people. First of all, it's very holy and precious to me. And if they don't respond in a way that I feel is honorable, it's going to make me upset. Because you don't cast pearls before swine. I'm not calling you a pig, but if you don't respond to precious things, then you're acting like a pig. Do you understand? I said, I don't even want to take the risk that they're not going to respond right. I know the leaders will, and I know the staff will, and that's enough for me, Father. We've got the head and the beard. I don't need the rest of the garments. I don't need the skirts or nothing like that. I've got the head and the beard. That's enough. And he said, you must tell the people. And I said, but why? He said, Dr. Dufresne said the same thing to me when I showed him that vision. And he sat there in your front row, and he said, don't let, I, I said, tell the people. He said, I don't want to tell the people. They'll be offended if I, people out there could be hurt and think I'm demeaning other people and all that stuff, remember? And he said, you must tell the people, for if it is not uttered by the prophet, I cannot cause it to come to pass. And remember, he got up there, if you remember the recording, and he said, I'm very hesitant to share these things. I'm very hesitant. to. I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't, want to get a, I don't want to get attacked because people think that I'm, but he said, God said, I must say it or it will not come to pass. There are certain things about the realm of the spirit that we don't always understand because we're carnal and fleshly. But in the realm of the spirit, God has to have a human being in an office utter and speak things, whether they're popular or not, whether they're received or not. They must be spoken in order for his power to now back it and cause it to manifest. And he said, it's not enough for you to tell the leadership. You must tell the people. Dr. Dufresne tried to talk me out of it as well, and I wouldn't let him. And he said, every, all along this journey, you've asked me not to tell the people, not to tell the people, and I've made you tell them every single time. He said, this is no exception. You will tell the people. He said, do you think the nation of Israel, he said, what he said to me, he said two things about Dr. Dufresne and about the nation of Israel. He said, do you think the nation of Israel didn't know where Moses was going? They knew he was going up to Mount Horeb. They knew, Sinai, they knew he was going up to wait on God and to get answers from God and to hear God and see God and speak to God. They knew it. And they still played the fool. They didn't respond right. And they delayed themselves. He said, but the people knew it. Moses didn't try to hide it from them. The people have to know whether you think they're going to respond right or not is irrelevant. You have to say it so that I can manifest it. And you have to say it, number two, so that the people will come into knowledge. And then how they respond to that knowledge, I will judge them on. Amen. How they respond to that knowledge, God will judge you on. Nobody likes the word judge, but there is that word in the Bible and it's very true. Judge yourselves, 1 Corinthians 11 says, that you be not judged. In other words, when you know something, you make sure you check yourself. You be your own taskmaster. You say, I'm going to respond right. Because if you judge yourself, then there's nothing that will come on you. But if you don't handle things right, then there's things that they're gonna, you're going to have trouble with God. Do you understand? So you've got to judge yourself in tithing. 
You've got to judge yourself and how you're responding to this information, this revelation that God's giving to the congregation. So don't think that, I don't want you to think that in any way, like I, let me rephrase. I didn't want to tell you. I didn't want to talk about it. I wanted to keep it private. But the Lord said, you will do it. You must do it and do it at your anniversary season, which is why I waited from September 15th on. Okay. We have come through Jordan. Praise God. We've set up a memorial of 12. We're entering into a Gilgal season and then we're entering into a kneeling down, taking our shoes off for that, for him to anoint us and empower us for the assignment that we need. And that anointing and empowering is receiving the mantle because something's coming. I've been preaching for now in my 30th year from a pulpit. My first sermon was almost two hours long. I think it was the most boring sermon I ever preached. And it was to teenagers at that. But praise God, they kept their, <laughs> they kept attention. And I preached on heaven for two hours. Oh, it was dry. Heaven's a wonderful subject. I think they were all praying to go to heaven before the service ended. But that started 30 years ago. <laughs> I've been preaching ever since. Thank God there's, there's some growth, a little bit of growth since then. But just because I've been preaching for 29, 30 years now, doesn't, the, the anointing has always been there to minister. I've always ministered under the anointing, but I've never yet ministered under the mantle. Are you with me? The mantle is there. God made us aware of it and marked and separated us for its purposes. But that doesn't mean we are, we are operating under it yet. That doesn't mean we've picked it up and are operating under that anointing yet. That anointing is so precious to God and is a great price has to be paid, which has taken 15 years of paying that price to show God that we're worth his trust on that. And then this year with all the four sections I told you about, the fellowship time with the spiritual parents, the big distraction of COVID, which was the chariot and horses of fire, and then this tearing of the garment, which is this, this Gilgal, this wilderness, this crucifixion, and then you pick it up. You see the parallel there. It, we, we've never ministered. I've never once preached under that mantle. Not one time. The first time is going to be on December the 13th. And I'm not even sure if I'm going to be able to preach under the mantle at that time because God's already told me exactly what to do for that service. And I'm not going to say because we're on live stream and I don't want to talk about it while we're on live stream. So at a later time, I'll cut the live stream and tell you, I hope I get to preach, but I'm not even sure there'll be time to preach because he already told me exactly what to do on the first service back, having received that mantle. And I'm not even sure there'll be time to preach that day. And then the following Sunday is our Christmas service, the 20th. And so, yes, we'll preach, but it's not like a normal message. It's more, you know, shorter and it's more aimed for a, you know, it's more evangelistic in nature. Do you know what I'm saying? So, yes, I'm sure we'll minister there. That might be the first time, but probably it won't really be until the last Sunday or the first Sunday of the new year that we're into a normal, regular, back to a regular flow of church service without the specificity of the first service after the fast and the specificity of the Christmas service. It's probably not going to be to the very end of the year that we actually minister under that mantle.
I don't want you to come and think that you're going to see angels swinging from chandeliers and, and you know, that, you know, I don't know, I'm going to look somehow different or something. I, I, I'm sure you're probably not going to be able to notice much of a difference from one day to the next, but in the spirit, there's a big difference because now that mantle is operating. The assignment for revival in Toronto is actually in operation. And I don't know exactly how all that's going to play out. God has to work the details out because I can't force a revival and I can't force favor with government officials and I can't force a voice to go forth. I can't force anything. All I have to do is keep doing what I'm doing and be faithful and God has to somehow figure this out. All I know is that he said the assignment that Dr. Dufresne saw for the, man, the mantle is an assignment, an anointing on an assignment for this city, which was in the Bond Street Church they, and they manifested that mantle properly. Then in the uptown church where I was at as a teenager, and they had the largest revival that church had ever seen, 43 days with, with Brother Jerry Savell, which was a miniature version. They said, that's the mantle at work. They didn't even know they had it. But just faithfulness to the mantle, uh, that was a measure of the mantle working because the, the revival downtown was the mantle at full potential power at that time. This mini revival was not really full potential power, but it was still working in that. And then, of course, the next church, and then, which we, not to my knowledge, there was ever a revival, and now we're the fourth church. But see, the assignment for Toronto must be fulfilled, and God has had that. It came to the shores in 1917, and we started talking about it in 2017. I won't give them the more specifics now, but I know, and the, and the parallels are, 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 are scaringly exact. I mean, and I'm not planning he already said, do this and do that. And I said, okay, Lord. And then weeks later, he showed me something that I didn't even know about the first church downtown Toronto and the dates that they had certain things happen matched exactly when God told me do this and this will happen in the future and do that. And that will happen in the future. The dates are exactly the same. And I didn't even know it. I only found that out two weeks ago. I dropped, I dropped the phone and I said, my God, Jennifer, come and look at this. Do you remember the Lord said, do this and this and this in these years to come and this will happen? Look what, what, look what they did in the Bond Street Church. It's exactly the same. Exact hundred year parallels on everything. And not me knowing that and going, okay, well, if they did it, then why don't we try to do it like this? I didn't even know that. He just said to do it and then he revealed it to me after the fact so that I could see there was his hand at work. I'm telling you, God is, he's, he's a master organizer. He's masterful. He's, he, this is so bigger than me. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than any pastor. It's bigger than any ministry. It's an assignment yeah. for this precious city. Amen. So you better get ready and you better know how to pray because don't you think the devil loves Toronto? Amen. He loves Toronto and he wants to hold it in his bondage grip. And he's afraid of mantles and anointings because the yoke shall be destroyed for sake of the anointing. Amen. And the bondage shall be lifted because of the anointing. That's what Isaiah 10 says. Don't you think the devil who's got this place, he's got a grip on this city. Don't you think he's going to stand against those that with an anointing for the city try to break bondages and lift burdens? Don't you think he's going to try all manner of lies, all manner of attack, all manner of persecution to try to stop those people in their tracks? Well, I'm just letting you know it's coming. So if you just want a nice, sweet little church and a nice, sweet little pastor, 
who strokes your fur, you better find somewhere else because this, that's why God said, I'm looking for 318 mighty men, warriors. That's why he said Gideon's 300, the core. There'll be many more beyond that, but there has to be a core of strong warrior-like people that stand in the face of persecution and laugh and say, bring it, we will not yield. It takes a special person to stand like that. Most Christians cower. Because it's not real Christianity to them. It's just their, it's their emotions. They just want to feel a bunch of things. But it's not really real on the inside of them. That's why God's looking for warriors. Because what this mantle is going to cause an upheaval. Oh, I don't think they understand what I'm saying, Lord. But they're going to figure it out. My God, this man, I mean it will. It will cause an upheaval. So you, that's why do you think God has been saying for so long, guard your relationship with your pastor. Guard your relationship. Know where you're planted. Let your roots go down deep. Know why? Because he knows that there are things coming to shake the tree. He knows there are things coming that you're going to have to know that you know that you know that you know that you know this is where he planted me. This is where I'm staying. And it doesn't matter the fierce storm of persecution. That is the devil against the mantle and we will overcome Amen. but you got to have that on the inside or you'll quit you'll jump ship Amen. praise God anyway back to my notes hallelujah so we're coming through our memorial of 12 we're coming into our Gilgal it's right ahead of us and then we're going to go and take off our shoes praise God and receive that anointing and that, 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 that empowerment for the assignment. That's what the mantle is. It's an empowerment for an assignment. Praise God. Let me just also this, uh, this about the number 12. Because this is our, we've just finished 12 years. The number 12 is the number of foundation. It's also the number in the Bible of established government. Or a government system. Any kind of a system. Something that is established. That is, where, that is what the number 12 represents biblically. Now, you, you look at the number 12 from this perspective, and you'll see how that lines up. You look at the celestial systems. The established celestial system is 12 constellations, right? People call it the 12 signs of the zodiac, but it's really God's stars that tell all about the life of Jesus. If you study the constellations, it's all the picture of the Bible from the time Jesus was born until the time he's king of kings and lord of lords. Marilyn Hickey wrote a wonderful book about the 12 constellations and how it tells the story of Jesus. I encourage you to read it. It's amazing. The devil just took that with a zodiac and perverted it and made it the opposite, but God's origin talked about Jesus. But look at that. Celestial bodies are established. Number 12. There's 12 of them. The, the, our time calendar how we run our life. The established system of time is based into 12 months. Do you see how 12 represents that? The, uh, the established government in the nation of Israel was with 12 tribes, an established government. Do you understand? There were 12 foundation stones that they set up, one for each of the tribes of Israel. Foundation stones. That's after they went through Jordan. There are, do you know that there are 12 foundation stones? In the New Jerusalem, there are 12 gates in the New Jerusalem. There are 12 precious stones in the New Jerusalem, all with the names of the 12 apostles on them. Why? Because it's a foundation stone. It speaks of foundation. Do you understand? Are you still with me? What about, there are 12 disciples of Jesus. His established system. That was his government that he established. And then they became, the Bible calls them in Revelation, the 12 apostles of the Lamb. 
And they're called, if you read Brother Hagin's book, he gave gifts unto men, they're called foundation apostles. An apostle today is not a foundation apostle. I am not a foundation apostle. No apostle alive is a foundation apostle. Only the 12 apostles of the Lamb were considered foundation apostles. They set the government of the church on its, they set it, they set the government properly. And everybody else in the future built upon what the foundation apostles laid. That's why there's only 12 of them. See, 12 is the number of foundation. It's also the number at which when you finish 12, you become a man in Jewish culture. And they call it a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah if you're a girl. Notice they call the girl bats. I'm not exactly sure why. And they call the boys at the bar. I'm not exactly sure why. But anyway, let's moving right along. It's a bat mitzvah or a bar mitzvah because you finished what? You finished the season of childhood, which is what? Number 12. The foundation laying years have been complete. And now you are a man or a woman. So you see how God uses this number frequently. And that's why he started to deal with me. He said, this, this 12th anniversary is very important, son. Your childhood years as a congregation are over. Your foundation laying years are over. The foundation, the foundation stones have been laid. You, your foundation is set. Now, as you go 13 and onward, you are entering into your adulthood years and your building years. The foundation of a building is the childhood phase. When you build upon the foundation, that's the adulthood phase. And so I said, but Lord, Dr. Sumrall said, it's 10 years. And he said to me, are you going to listen to Dr. Sumrall or my word? He said 10 is the bare minimum and he wasn't attacking or knocking. He said that's the bare minimum. But he said my word says that 12 is the number of the foundation of things. And your church is a baby church until it reaches 12. Now that you've passed that marker in the spirit, that's a big marker. Now that you've passed that marker, you're coming into your building years, not your foundational years. And you're coming into your adult years, not your childhood years. This is the first Sunday, and you're not all of you even smiling. This is our first Sunday of adulthood. This is our first Sunday of in the building phase, and it will go now until the rapture. But I want to look back and say, boy, that first Sunday, Lord, they were happy. I mean, they were smiling. I mean, they were rejoicing. They were saying, glory to God. Anyway, moving on. No, you, you, you missed the opportunity, but maybe you'll get it later. Praise God. Hallelujah. So this is an important season for us. Now I want to go back on the 28th, on the 2nd of August, he said all these things, but I didn't know what ripping the garment meant. Then in the middle of the month, he said a fast is coming. Then on the 28th of October, he said these words to me and, and he started talking to me about the season and what it would hold. Can I, I just want to remind you because I, I, I went so quickly, I just feel like I need to remind you of the actual phrase. He said these words to me. He said, you've gone through Jordan, which represents 19. You've entered into the season of Hebron to get the mantle, which represents 20. So likewise, you are now to go into the wilderness like Jesus, die to the flesh. That is the ripping of your garment, son, and you'll pick up the mantle like he did. But I st he said that on the 28th, but I didn't know what kind of fast. I knew it. He said a fast is coming. And then he says, just say, Jesus went in in his 30th. You're going in in your 30th. 
There's a lot of parallels here, but on the 12 and on the 30, Jesus went in to get the, his, his, his anointing for his ministry. He went into a wilderness and he fasted, and you're doing the same. As you enter your 30th, which was on October 6th, you're entering into your 30th. He in his 30th went into that wilderness. There's a lot of parallels here. You couldn't make this stuff up because I'm not trying to connect parallels. Do you understand? I don't have time for that. I've got four children and a dog. I'm just trying to keep my head above the water. I don't have time to try to create parallels. Well, wonder what this means. And I know some people maybe have all the time in the world. I don't. God has to bring the parallel to me and say, oh, by the way, Jesus entered in in his 30th and so are you. Yeah. Wink. Like, wow, isn't that cool? Lord, wow, that is cool. I mean, that's not doctrine, but that's neat. Yeah. Oh, they came out of their 12th into Gilgal. You're coming out of your 12th into the wilderness. Isn't that cool? Oh, yeah, Lord, that is cool. Thank you. But he's showing it to me. I'm not trying to create this. Do you understand? So I know on the 28th of August there's a fast coming, but I know on the 15th of August there's a fast coming. I know on the 28th of August it's going to be like Jesus in the wilderness, but I still don't know what kind of fast. And I'm starting to get nervous because I'm thinking he wouldn't ask for the mother load fast. I mean, he just wouldn't do that. He knows me. He knows I can only fast chocolate for three hours. And he knows that. I mean, what y'all about 40 day business? I, no, my, my God, No. I said, I'm starting to sweat. I mean, I'm sweating. I'm thinking, oh my God, what is, what are you talking about? And then early in the morning on Sunday, the 30th, that's when I had that mini vision. I saw a person walk up to me with a silver tray and on that tray was an object. I can't quite explain to you what it was. It's hard to explain, but the Lord said, that is the fast. He said, I'm asking if you will, you have to receive it. You have to accept it, Greg. I won't make you do it. It is required, but it is not forced. Do you see the difference? Yes. To get to heaven, it is required to be born again, but it is never forced. Do you understand? To get the mantle, it is required to do this fast, but it will not be forced upon you. I am offering it. You must receive it. And I did with tears and with a little bit of fear. Lord, what am I going to do? I couldn't, I, I don't know physically, how can I do this? I don't think I can do this, but I'll do whatever you ask me to do. And I won't quit on you, but I'm a little bit nervous. You know, we have emotions. We have, a, we have, we have our soul to deal with. My spirit's willing, but the flesh, the Bible says, is weak. And immediately he spoke to me and he said, the fast you tried to do years ago, which was when I first met Jenny, he said, you tried to do a 40-day fast. You failed after a few days and went back to eating. He said, because I never authored it. And that's why it was a bad experience for you. Listen, don't do things that God doesn't author. Because you'll have a bad experience in the doing of it. And then when eventually he does author it, you won't want to do it because your memory associates it with negativity. So he said, you, I didn't author it. That's why that there was this problem. But that's why it failed. But I'm authoring it now. And that's why I want you this. And then he said these words, and there shall be a sustaining anointing. Amen. I've never heard anybody phrase it like that. I've never heard Pastor Nancy or anybody talk about the anointing like that. Maybe they have, but I've never heard it. That was the first time I heard that phrase. And there will be a sustaining anointing that comes on you. And then he said, and I said, a sustaining anointing. I said, okay, Lord. I said, but my mind is still fighting. I'm saying, but how do I physically do something? Lord, you know, there's no nourishment. There's no vitamins. There's no nothing. How does your body even, how do you do that? And he said to me, did you have any hunger pain? Did you vomit? Did you throw up? Did you do anything like that? Which normally I do if I don't get food. He said, did you have that in Africa for that three days last year? I said, no. And he said, you will not have one pain of hunger Amen. for 40 days. I said, but Lord, that's impossible. I said, you got to give me some scripture on that. 
He didn't answer me, but a few days later, my wife came to me and said, God spoke to me and told me to read this verse to you. And she opened up the Bible in Luke and she read the verse where it said, and afterward, after the 40-day fast, and afterward he hungered. It said nothing about hungering during the fast. Now that, you may say that's semantics. Of course he hungered during the fast, but that came by revelation knowledge. I, I mean, you could argue that theologically and you could do that, but, but when you get it by revelation, it doesn't matter if somebody argues, you know you're right. That came by revelation knowledge and afterward. He fasted in the wilderness 40 days and afterward he, he hungered. But that came by revelation. So he said, that, see, my word says that Jesus never suffered with hunger and neither are you because of the sustaining anointing. And I said, well, how am I going to, what do I do? Is there anything I have to do special to get that a sustaining anointing? Is there anything special that I have to do, Father? I mean, I know I'm praying and fasting and everything, but what else do I have to do? And he said, I want you to read the Bible with your own, let your own ears hear you read it. Don't just have Max McLean, my favorite author, read it for you. He said, I want you to read every word in my, in the scripture, cover to cover. And, and, and I want you to, and I'll pause, tell you to pause when I want you to meditate. And I want you to read it. And then he gave, I said, really? That, that's what I do for the sustaining anointing? And he said, he took me back to his word. Jesus, he's our example. And the Bible says that when he, that, that he tried to make stone, the devil made stones bread, remember? Yeah. Yeah. And he says, go ahead and eat. Now that was really the, the lust of the flesh. That's what his flesh wanted food. Yeah. And what did he answer? He said, man shall not live by the things that his flesh wants. Bread alone. But live. Man will live by what? Every word. Didn't just say the word. It says every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And the Lord said, you read every word and I will sustain you. Just like the food didn't sustain him, but every word sustained him. So you read every word in, that, in my word and that word will sustain you. See, that's how the sustaining anointing works is with the word. Remember when Jesus was ministering so much and he was hungry and the apostles couldn't, the disciples couldn't get him to eat and they were bugging him to eat. And he said, leave me alone. I have meat that you know not of. Meaning fulfilling the plan of God and ministering to people was nourishment meat to his spirit and his body that physical meat couldn't, would, had nothing to do with so when you fulfill the plan, in this case fasting, there's a spiritual meat or nourishment that comes into you to fulfill that plan that other people can't understand because they're in their natural mind, but you're in the spirit. So he gave me that scripture about I have meat that you know not of. And he gave me that scripture about, uh, about the every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And those were great encouragements to me. Yeah. Then I, I, I'm weary to share that. I'm not going to share all the details because it's, it's not necessary to share all the details. But on that same morning, I, after he had spoken to me and he was talking to me about the fast and all the stuff that I've already shared with you, a little bit later on, maybe an hour, hour and a half later, uh, he came very dramatic. I don't want to share the details, but he came very dramatically into my room in a way that he never has ever in my life before. He came very dramatically into the room where I was standing and I began to prophesy. I was prophesying, but believe me, uh, it was not, uh, prophecy is not 
is not created in your mind. It comes out of your spirit. And I began to prophesy in a very uh, dramatic and unusual way. And I'll leave it at that. But these words came out. I was able to get it on a recording. And these words came out as I began to prophesy. And I wanted to, I wanted to share with you what they were because it meant a lot to me. Praise God. And those were these words were, were these words. He's, I heard these words come out of my mouth. Oh, to be counted worthy to walk in the footsteps of the master. Oh, for the honor of walking in the path of the Lord. And I was able to get that on a, on a recording and write it down later. And, and, and God started to teach me that the way we see fasting is the opposite to the way he sees fasting. I, there's no teaching on this. I've never heard anybody teach this. The Lord taught me this. He said, you look at it like a negative and a scary thing and what you're going to lose. He said, I look at it as a tremendous honor, something that is precious and of what you are going to gain. You look at it that way because you're in your flesh. But your spirit man doesn't look at it that way. And God is spirit. We're so carnal. We don't even realize how carnal we are. But he said, he said those words, and I, every single day I read that phrase. It helps me. It helps sustain me. And I'm going to read it every day on that fast. Because the way he looked at this, Wayne, was not that this is just something I'm doing. He said, oh, to be counted worthy to walk in the footsteps of the master. You know, in other words, Jesus doesn't ask everybody to do this. A lot of people do it, but he didn't ask them to do it. It's okay to do it if he didn't ask you to do it, but I wouldn't. It's just not necessary. You, you need to be led by the Spirit. Why would you go into something of this magnitude not led by the Spirit? Are you trying to be religious? Are you trying to be special? Are you trying to let everybody see how great you are? What is your motive in doing it if God didn't tell you to do it to begin with? Now, if, you're, if your doctor tells you you need to fast for a length of time because they say it is healthy and blah, 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 then I guess it's different. But why would you do it from a spiritual reason if God didn't author it? First of all, it's hard, but second of all, why, what would be the motive to do it? Remember, Jesus said the Pharisees fast, but their motive was to tell everybody they were fasting. Their motive was to get all the praise and all the, oh, we, that's why she said, when you fast, don't talk about it, wash your face, act like you're normal, don't come in, oh, do you understand? Because otherwise you have your reward by everybody saying, oh, poor you, poor you. You've had your reward. Jesus, now, so I quoted that scripture to God like he didn't already know it. And I said, I can't tell the people. Your word tells me not to tell the people. He said, son, I'm telling you that Moses, they knew where Moses was going. He said, that is talking about regular fasting. That's not talking about something of this magnitude. Something of this magnitude, you can't disappear for five weeks and just not tell anybody. You've got to tell people so they can join with you and be in unity. This fasting, that's just when you, you, know, you t take a day here, you take a couple days there. You don't have to tell everybody around the world that you're fasting because you've lost your reward. Do you understand? But notice that those Pharisees didn't fast for the right reason. They were fasting because they wanted everybody to know they were fasting. So you can fast and it be spiritual, but from the wrong place, not with God authoring it, and you don't even get a reward for it anyway. So that obviously means the reverse is true. You can also fast from the right place because God tells you to. And he doesn't tell everybody to do this. The way he said it to me was, do you realize this? I'm putting my, my own words on it. Do you, realize how, do you realize how special this is, son? Yeah. 
I don't ask everybody to do this. I found you worthy to be asked to do this. It is a great honor to walk in the same footsteps of your master. Don't ever look at it like, oh, or did it negative? Look at it like, I can't believe you've given me the privilege. I can't believe I get to do this. Not I have to do this. I can't believe I get to do this. What a privilege. What an honor to be asked of the Lord to do this. And that is my attitude going in. And that should be whatever you do, because remember, the Lord is also asking you to do something. He said to me, if you go and they do nothing, that is dishonorable. Don't have them act like the people when Moses, have them have, them have the appropriate attitude, which means action along with attitude, which means if I'm saying God's asking me to do it, but I'm saying God is going to ask you to do something, that means he's going to ask some, he's going to ask all of you to do something when it comes to fasting, which means when he drops in your heart, what you should do, God has asked you to fast in that capacity. Do you realize that that is a tremendous privilege? That is a tremendous honor that he would single you out and say, this is what I, as your father in heaven, the God of all the universe, I am asking you do this. What a privilege. And do that without any thought of, oh, what am I lose? Oh, I'm going to be hungry. Because that's your flesh speaking. Do that from an attitude of what a privilege, father. Thank you. And you, if I'm doing your will, you will sustain me. No matter what measure of fast you do, little or great, he will sustain you. Amen. Praise God. So I wanted you to know that he said that to me. And the way I'm looking at it is not any way I've ever looked at a fast before. This is a tremendous honor. Amen. This is not something I'm dreading. This is not something I'm, I, 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 at first in my flesh I was dreading it. But now that I've got over in my spirit more about it, I don't have any thoughts of dread. In fact, I have thoughts of anticipation. I can't wait for November 2nd to arrive. I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to please him. And this is a requirement for me this year to please him. And I want you, so we're doing it, remember, November 2nd to December 11th. That's my, that's my phase. That's my boundaries. Okay, 2nd to the 11th. And you do whichever within that same time frame that is in your heart to do it. Praise God. Hallelujah. Would you turn quickly to the book of Exodus chapter 3. I'm just so tired of rushing. Last Sunday was just like, boop, 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 boop. I'm just trying to bust everything out so fast. And while it had to be done on that specific day because it was the anniversary service, I'm just not in the mood to bust everything out today. I I'm, I'm just want to take my time. And, I, and I, I planned two Sundays and I heard the Holy Ghost in my heart say, son, it'll take three. I said, no, it won't. I got my notes. I know exactly what I'm doing. It'll take two. But of course, I didn't count on today and all the bunny trails and this and all the little extras that he added in there. So it's going to take three. So I'm going to share, start it with you now about the Jacob and I'm going to finish it with you next week. Okay. I hate to do that because I like to have a complete thought in one service, but it's just not possible. Otherwise, we'll be here too long. So can you look at Exodus chapter? So in other words, don't rush me with your eyes. <laughs> Exodus chapter three. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Did you know that? I always thought it was just a burning bush. I didn't know there was an angel of fire inside the bush. 
And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And he said, draw not nigh hither. Don't come closer. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Now, we won't keep reading, but if you go down 7, 8, 9, he talks about what his assignment is, which is going to Egypt. But I want you to notice that he, that he says here, I'm going to turn aside. He sees the bush. Remember, remember, are you listening now? He's got a bunch of sheep with him. <laughs> He's got sheep with him. He's on the backside of the desert. He turns and he sees this bush, this angel of fire, and it's burning, but it's not burning. And he says, I will, watch now the wording, turn aside. Do you see that? I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Now watch, this is very important. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside, he said, and he called to him from out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. I want you to notice that if he had not decided to turn aside, God would not have spoken. Jesus is walking on the water, if you read it in the, in the Gospels, and it says, and he walked as though he were to pass them by. What's his job on the water? Is he going for a stroll? His assignment on the water is to help them in the boat. But why would he act like he's going to pass them by? Because until they call for him, until the individual in need shows in interest, shows intent, shows intentional, come Jesus, we need you Jesus. Hey you Jesus, until there's some kind of a interest, intentional interest shown, God won't respond. Now these are things that pertain to the spirit because we have to understand that's how God works. That's a pattern that he works. Just because he wants you to do something, okay? If you don't show interest in what he's doing, he won't tell you what you're supposed to do. So he wants all of us to do certain things, but unless you show interest, how is showing interest coming to church? How is showing interest doing the things you know to do, like serving and tithing and all that stuff. What else? How do you show interest? Getting up and praying and seeking him in the mornings and in the afternoons and in the evenings and whenever you have the time. That's showing interest. God may want you to do something, but until you show interest, until you call to Jesus walking on the water, he won't come to you. Until you say, I'm going to turn aside and see this sight, he won't call to you from the bush. A lot of Christians never hear God talking to them because they don't show interest. Are you listening? Oh, God never says anything to me. Well, why don't you show some honor? Why don't you show some interest? Why don't you get, but I did pray for three days. Why don't you pray for a hundred days? Why don't you pray for a thousand days and have the attitude, I'll pray for 10,000 more. I'm not tired. I'll do this till the last breath of my body. I will show you the honor and the interest that you deserve and I will keep doing it until you speak to me. Don't give up. Don't have a drive-through mentality. 
have a fine dining, long wait mentality. I'm showing interest. I want you to see that. Now, I'm still going with you. You're still with me, right? Now watch the pattern of God and watch the, watch the mastery of his orchestration. All of this has a tone of his mastery on it. You can't, like Greg tells me all the time, Craig, you, pastor, you couldn't make this up. I mean, even if you were trying to come up with this, no person could just make this up. If you look at all the different parts and all the different people that God has used, Joshua, David, and Elisha, and Jesus in the wilderness, and Jacob, what you're about to hear. If you look at all these, and all of them have the same message, but a little bit different. The details apply a little differently to this phase of our life, and the other details apply a little bit differently to that phase. You can't make that up. That's God in his master orchestration. He's the conductor. There's lots of instruments in his band. Do you understand? In his orchestra. And he's got the one instrument here, and that's one person in one scripture to let you know that's what I want you to do. And then he's got another instrument over there. And all of them work work together to make this beautiful sound for the plan for your life. But God is orchestrating it. So he, he, he takes me to this verse and he says to me, he says, now I want you to remember, son, that last year I already spoke this to you. I said, Lord, I don't remember you really speaking this to me, this verse here. He said, oh, I spoke to you through Pastor Nancy and oh, I spoke to you through Reverend Greer. Now I want you to watch the par- pattern and the parallel. Pastor Nancy, Reverend, Reverend Greer comes first. The first service, first night, the beginning of the first service of the whole week, he says by the Spirit, and the time has come. You can listen to it on the recording. And the time has come, like Moses, to turn aside and see this great sight. So the time has come for this church and for you, Pastor, to turn aside from your busy sheep-watching activities and seek the face of God. I couldn't believe it. It didn't, it didn't mean as much to me when he said it because I didn't know what it fully meant. I mean, I know what it means in general to pray, but I didn't know that there was a God's finger was on that statement. But the anointing was on it. Now watch the pattern and the parallel. The very first part of the very first service of that week that Pastor Nancy came in October, the first thing she said when she got the microphone, she started to prophesy and started to say, and it is time like Moses for you to turn aside from watching the sheep and say, I turn aside to see this great wonder and God will begin to talk to you as you turn aside. She's talking to me. You go listen to it on the recording. Pastor Nancy knows Brother Greer, but they are not Uh, They're not in the same camp, so to speak. They are, but they're not. They don't talk to each other on a regular basis. Okay? None of the three of them really talk to each other. They all love God and we're all Brother Hagin's people and we all, we all, we're all the same kind of in, the, in, in our flow and everything. But Pastor Nancy does not fellowship with, with Brother Jerry Savell, hardly at all. And she does not fellowship with Randy Greer, hardly at all. And Reverend Greer does not fellowship with Jerry, hardly at all. They all know each other. They all have respect for each other, but they don't, none of them are in each other's social circle, if I could use that modern COVID term in ministry. And I don't mean in this season, I mean ever. They're just not, in, they're just not buddies. Their ministers are buddies. Other ministers, they know of each other, but they're not, they don't call, they don't, they talk to each other maybe once in a blue moon, but they're not connected in that way. None of the three of them are connected. I'm connected to all of them, but they're not connected to each other. So Reverend Greer is not asking Pastor Nancy, or Pastor Nancy's not asking Reverend Greer, by the way, what did you say? Did God emphasize anything to you when you were at Promise of Life? Because they don't talk. 
So there's no way in the natural that they could know what the other one had said. And even if they could, even if they did talk, there's so much said over a week of meetings, why would they specify that phrase? But both of them, the very beginning of the first service under the anointing of prophecy, both of them say the same thing, almost verbatim. What does the Bible say? Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be in other words, if you've got it out of the mouth of two that God has said out of the mouth of two, not just that two people in the flesh have said, but God has authored out of two mouths, at least two, saying the same thing. It is an established truth. It is something you pay attention to. And he took me to this and he said, you have some sheep, Craig. You know when he said this to me, Taylor? We had a staff meeting in early September, and when I told the staff the fast was coming, but I told the staff, I'm still going to preach through the whole thing. I'll be here for all the services. I'll cancel Bible school, but I'll be here for all the services because I'm a pastor. God would expect me to honor my, my, my office as a pastor, but I'll be fasting the rest of the time. And he took me to this scripture. The staff were told I was going to preach. They didn't actually hear that I wasn't until quite some time later. Because in the middle between that staff meeting and when I, and then October 4th, uh, I don't even, or whenever it was, not a, you knew before October 4th, but there was a season of time where they thought I was going to be here. But the Lord changed it because he took me to this scripture. And he said, you've got some sheep, but I expect you to turn aside from watching the sheep to behold the wonder of the burning bush so that I can speak to you. Amen. And I said, well, Lord, if that's very clear to me, you're telling me if I'm turning aside from the sheep, means I can't be amongst them, means I can't watch over them, means I can't lead them, I can't feed them, I can't do my job. But if you're saying it out of two people's mouths, plus you're saying it on the inside of me, so that's a third voice. Amen. If you're saying it, then I know it's an established truth. You're saying turn aside. Did you notice that God would not have engaged him if he hadn't said, I'll turn aside. But because he said, I'll do it, God started, immediately, he hadn't even got there, God started talking. God is so anxious and not in a bad way. He is so anticipating, he's so desirous of us to do the right thing. That as soon as we make the decision, he immediately calls, Moses, Moses. He's waiting to call our name. But he's waiting for interest to be showed. Now I have seen this sight of this mantle, this, this instruction of the life of Elisha about this year and all these things and the ripping of the garment. I see this moment in time that is ahead of me. I see this fast, this wilderness season like Jesus went through. I see it. This is a, a wondrous sight. But he, he wants me to turn away from the responsibilities of life in order to engage that. And because I have accepted and because I've done it, he's already starting to call to me from the bush. Part of his calling to me from the bush was to say, you won't have a hunger pain until afterward. Yeah. Part of him calling to me was to say, I'm going to sustain you with the anointing. Part of him calling to me, this is before I even get to the bush. It's before I even get to the fast. He's already talking. He's already saying, uh, he's already saying, it's a counted a worthy honor to be asked of me to do this. Look at it that way, son. Don't look at it like, oh, look at it like what a privilege. Not I have to, but I get to. See, he's calling to me from the bush. He's letting me know, I want you to turn aside now, son. They'll be fine. Notice that God didn't let the wolf come and kill all the sheep while he was talking to God. 
right? So there's no wolf coming into our church. There's no, there's no loss that's going to occur. In fact, I'm believing because of the obedience that the church will actually grow in that five weeks, that the budget will be met and overly met, that everything will happen continuously as it's supposed to and more because if I'm doing what I'm supposed to do now, it's on God's, it's on his side to watch over the sheep. Moses couldn't watch them. They could have been wild beasts around, but he's turned aside to observe the wonder. And there's a season of turning aside. So I know that we're in the perfect will of God to do this because Pastor Nancy said it. I didn't even know fully what it meant. Greer said it. I didn't know fully what it meant. Then he brought it back to me and said, I spoke those words as an established truth. You must do this. It's what you have to choose to it. I can't force you, but it is required. So I just want you to know that, 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 that that's, I'm on Mount Herob. I'm turning aside. Please, in your own way, turn aside. Turn aside from your sheep, your busy life, your schedule, your... The, some of you, you need to fast social media for 40 days. It'll set you free. Those demons in you will come out. <laughs> if you have demons from social media. I don't know if you do. Maybe you don't. But I'm just saying, some of you, you, you you're, so, you're so engaged in your daily... And it's okay for a moment, not all the time, but for a specified moment that God has spoken about for you to say, I will also turn aside. I will put certain things on hold. Maybe food, maybe activities, maybe certain things of entertainment. I will put certain things on hold. And I will behold the wonder. I will go in. Because remember what happens? He goes in like Joshua. He goes in to the presence of God like Jesus with the drawn sword. And what does he say? Take your shoes off, Moses. Take your shoes off, Joshua. Why? This is a holy moment. This fast is a holy thing. It's a holy moment. And I'm separating you to an assignment. And I'm empowering you to deal with that Pharaoh. I'm separating you, Joshua, to an assignment. And I'm empowering you to deal with that Jericho and that land. I'm separating you, Craig, to the assignment. I'm separating you, promise of life, to an assignment. And I'm empowering you with something called the anointing or the mantle in order to fulfill that assignment. This is our moment. I can't emphasize it strongly enough. Don't miss this moment. Everything we've done in a church for 12 years has led to this moment. I cannot emphasize it with enough passion to you that this is the most important three months of this church's existence. And if you think that if you see the church, the local church as your home, because the Bible calls it your home. If I'm your spiritual father, in other words, we're a family, the family of God. If this is your home, if this is your family, then this should be the most important thing in your life. It's more important than the gym or the soccer practice. It's more important than working extra overtime shifts. This is everything moves around the house of God. It did in the Old Testament and it did in the New. If you study the Old and if you study Paul, he even wrote the whole Bible to local churches, not to conventions, to churches and pastors. Everything revolves around in Old and New Testament. It's a pattern that God has. He doesn't change it because we're a modern society. Everything comes and comes. It's all connected around this local thing called the house where God, God is in each of us as a house. But he, we gather together to honor him, to hear his word. That's everything about life is surrounded by this. So when the local church and the pastor is saying, God says this, and it bears witness, don't ever do it if it don't bear witness. If it bears witness in your spirit, I believe God is saying that. 
then you need to, the next question is, what is my part? How do I turn aside to behold the wonder? What do I do? How do I stop my daily activities a little bit? And I, everybody's got a different plan. God will tell everybody to do a little bit differently. So don't talk about it to each other and don't compare. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't want people to go, well, Wayne, you know, I'm going to be doing this. And then Wayne goes, oh, well, I feel like a real, I feel this pig. Reverend Greg's doing that, but I only feel in my heart to do this. I, I don't want that happening. It's not competition. Nobody should be discussing with each other what you're doing. You can talk within your family, but you shouldn't be putting it on social media. You shouldn't be discussing it like it's a badge of honor like you're trying to make other people feel bad that maybe aren't doing as much because you don't know what God's telling them because you don't know their life their life may not allow for more than this but if they do this because God said do this and if they do this even though it looks small but they do it faithfully to God they'll get the same result and the reward as you doing this because God told you to do this for you to do this if he told you to do this you're going to lose Listen, if he tells you to do this much and you try to do this much, you're doing the rest of it in the flesh. So just do what he says and nothing more and nothing less. For me, it's a little bit more extreme, as I've already told you. It's a little bit more extreme. So there's not eating or drinking, as I said, other than water. There's no personal business. I'm putting my personal business on hold. There's no me doing the budget or the bills or anything like that at home. I ha- all that has to be done ahead of time. I'm not doing housework. I'm not with my wife um, intimately. I'm not watching television entertainment of any kind. There's no email, so don't email me. If you email me, you're not going to get a response. There's no emails to update PC. If you do that, you're not going to get a response. There's no emails. There's no text. There's no phone calls. There's nothing. There's no outside appointments. Jenny's taking them to the doctor and the dentist or whatever happens in that five weeks. I'm not doing anything. And that's home. Church-wise, there's no preaching. There's no staff meetings. There's no counseling. There's no traveling. There's no church work. There's absolutely nothing. It's, as if I'm, if I'm awake, <laughs> it's water and prayer and, and, and the word. And that's it. And it's as many hours as I feel I can, and then I go to sleep. And I wake up the next morning, and I do the same thing. So I would, I'm not asking you to pray for me, but I, wouldn't, I would not... I would appreciate you praying for me, but I'm not out of a, oh God, don't kill him kind of way. One of, I don't know who, because they never wrote their name, like usual, they just put initials and I don't know who they are, but, but one of the people in the birthday card said a beautiful, it really blessed me, but one of the things they said is they said, pastor, I'm not going to pray that it's light and easy for you, but I am going to pray that you fulfill your assignment on this fast. And I said, well, thank God, but it's okay for you to pray it's light and easy too. <laughs> So please, you can pray this light and easy. <laughs> I think it should be light and easy. If it's of the spirit, it should be light and easy. But also that I would fulfill my assignment. So please, uh, whoever that was, please pray for both. Don't just pray for them. Don't just pray for the assignment. Pray for the light and easy and the assignment. Praise God. Hallelujah. And he gave Jesus a wilderness and he gave me a wilderness called Oasis. I'm not going to be there all the time but I'm going to be up there for some of the time so I can just get away from the hustle and bustle and the smell of Jennifer's cooking. (sighs) You gain weight just by smelling the cooking. (laughs) Uh, So that's one of the reasons people have been saying, I want to go to Oasis. I want to rent a cabin. That's the reason we can't do that. I can't do it until January. First of all, because we're creating systems and checks with insurance. There's a lot of factors 
We're a charity, we're not a business. So a business that rents cottages to make a profit, we have to be very careful because as a church, we can get in trouble. So we're getting lawyers involved, the CRA involved, and where we need to know exactly what we can and cannot do on that property financially wise. And we got it, so that's, we're working on that now. We have to know the exact insurance coverages that we need for everybody and any eventuality that could happen. God forbid we get sued or something, we don't have insurance. So that is a long process, figuring out the insurance. And so all of that is happening while this fast is going on because the staff are doing that, but I'm up there. But I don't want people up there when I'm there because the whole point is me not to be around people. And I'll be up there sometimes and at home sometimes, but nobody really knows my schedule. So that's why we just said it's off limits until January 1st so that I can go come and go without feeling like I'm going to bump into people. Plus, we have to do all the natural things to get ready so that when we do start renting out cabins at whatever the price is and whatever legally we're allowed to do, I want to give you a real amazing, I don't want this to be about money. I want this to be about blessing the congregation. But there's so many rules with the CRA that sometimes they get mad at churches if they don't charge enough. Because then, uh, then, then you're hurting other businesses in the community because everybody wants to come to you, but not them. So then you have to try to prove why you're doing that. And then, so there's so much, uh, believe me, there's so much red tape. It's astonishing how much red tape there is in Canada for the simplest of things. I guess it's work, make work projects for the government agents. But anyway, we'll just move right along. So while we're doing all of that in the fall, I'm up there praying. And then in January, all of that will be ready. We'll be organized. We'll know exactly what we're allowed to do. And then we'll launch and people can come anytime they want. And we'll explain all that to you later on in the year when, when it's appropriate. But that's why. I, I couldn't explain all that before October 4th, but that's why. Hallelujah. What a great season we're in, Taylor. We get the privilege of honoring Jesus and fasting and praying and turning aside from the daily responsibilities and seeking him with all of our hearts and and showing him that he's first in our life, that he's not second, third, or fourth, but he's number one. Nothing shows him as much as when you put your flesh under. Praise God. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord Jesus, I wanted so badly to get into the next part, but they, they, they ruined it for me, Lord. They, they ruined it. They kept, I can't get into it. I have to wait till next Sunday. It's 12.02, and I, I will, I'll go to 12.30 if I start the next section, and I don't want to take your time. I can see some of you, you already, I see chickens in your eyes. You know, you know like the ca- cartoons where you see the dollar signs come in their eyes, or you'll see like the chicken comes in their eye, like Wiley the Coyote, he sees the roadrunner come in his eye. I can see some of you. I see turkeys. I see small chickens and I see little pigs coming in some of your eyes. You're looking forward to your ham and to your fowl. Praise God. F-O-U-L. Is that right? F-O-W-L. <laughs> oh my God. No harm, no foul. Praise God. Guys, we are in a great moment of time. Let us turn aside. Let us turn aside. I don't know if this fast will ever be required again. It might be, but God would have to say it. I have a sense that never again until the rapture will we ever be required to do this. I'm serious. I don't know if God will ever require something of this magnitude. And you know why? Not, listen, God will do whatever he wants to do. I'm not the boss. But Jesus only did it once. Right? But then again, Moses had to do it twice. <laughs> so I don't know. I just focus on the New Testament, not the old. Father, we're in the new. Jesus did it once. It's once for us. It don't matter that Moses had to do it twice. I'm not, I'm just focusing on Jesus. He's my master. I don't know, but I'm just saying this could be the only time this ever happens. Fasting will always happen, but of this magnitude, this will probably be the only time. And so uh, let's just, let's just pause for a moment. 
And let's prepare ourselves, praise God, over this month. This is a holy time. This is a holy time. We're coming before the burning bush and we're taking our shoes off. And uh, I didn't get everything else I wanted, but I think it's better that we just end with this thought. And then next Sunday, I'll do the last part. It's about the life of Jacob. I'm telling you, it will bless you. It blessed me richly to see how God brought the parallel of the fast to the life of Jacob. And, uh, And then we'll end that series. Praise God. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for the flow of the Spirit today. A little different than what I planned, but I just know you're pleased, Father. I know the people I can sense, at least the ones in the room here. I don't know about the other ones, Father, yet because they're not in the room, but I can sense the ones in the room here, they're in agreement. I can sense that sense of liberty and freedom. I sense that unity among the saints. I don't feel pushback from people, which sometimes I do, Father, but I don't feel that today. I feel like this congregation, even though we're separated and divided from each other because of all these restrictions, but I sense that they're in agreement with me, that they're they're, going to do their part, that they're not going to dread this, but they're going to look at this as a tremendous privilege and a tremendous honor that we have been asked by God to do this. What a joy. What a great joy. And Lord, how much you're going to bless us through this. Obviously, we're going to get receive an anointing, which is why we're doing it. But Lord, we're going to get to know you better. We're going to feel your presence stronger. You're going to show us much in your word that's got nothing to do with the mantle. Just studying and being in your presence. We're going to have an experience with you, Father. I believe it's going to mark us. I believe we're going to come out of this season marked. Something's going to be different about us. We'll always look back in the years that follow and we'll look back to this demarcation line in 2020 and we'll say, Lord, that year things changed. It might have changed globally. COVID seems to have changed the way that people do their lives. But Father, bigger than that and more important than that, we'll look back and say 2020 changed. We changed. We had an experience and an encounter with God that year. And that is, and, and we're, we've never been the same since. That was our That was our dividing line. Praise God. Oh, I thank you, Father. Let us enjoy the season. It's almost over. The year's almost over. And a new anointing is about to descend. And a building and a rushing forth. And a a taking the promised land is about to come. Let us enjoy the season, Father, for the short time that is left in it. That we would enjoy like Mary sitting at your feet. Not rushing around like Martha. Not running around the sheep. Not running around daily responsibilities. But as much as you lead us, as much as we're able to sit at your feet. Just like Martha did. Just like Mary did. And to engage with your eyes. To look at you square in your eyes, Jesus. And to enjoy your presence and listen to your word. And just spend time with you. Undistracted time. Father, I believe that Mary and Martha's story could be a perfect example and parallel to what we're about to experience. Help them to slow down and to be a Mary. They'll get so much out of this 40 days. And we'll gather back together in December rejoicing and praising God, celebrating the birth of Jesus at Christmas, and then entering into our new year with fresh strength and a fresh anointing. Hallelujah. Glory to God Almighty, glory to God.